Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Kelly Monaghan, who is an organisational behaviourist and she studies future workforce at Accenture Research. Her research has been recognised and published both in applied and academic journals, including MIT Sloan Management Review and the Journal of Strategic Management, which I know from doing my master's are very prestigious journals. So congratulations to Kelly on that. In 2018, she released her first book, How Behavioural Economics Influences Management Decision Making, A New Paradigm. She is frequently quoted in the media on talent decision making and the future of work. She has also written over a dozen publications and is sought after speaker on how to apply new management and talent models in knowledge based organisations. She holds a BS from Rochester Institute of Technology, an MS from Robert Wesleyan College, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and a PhD in organisational leadership from Regent University. In her own words, she loves to design research programs and use empirical evidence to help solve big big workplace problems. So I'm absolutely delighted to speak to Kelly today on the show. Uh, Kelly and I first connected when I saw her TEDx video a few months back and she sounded very interesting. So I reached out on LinkedIn and we connected and we had an absolutely wonderful conversation talking about the future of work. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, Kelly, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Yes, I am Dr. Kelly Monahan, and I lead Accenture's global talent and organization research agenda uh, across the company. Wow. I mean, that sounds so interesting in itself. And before, like we're here today to talk about the future of work. Before we get started on that, I'd love to know, like, what has changed for you? What's what's kind of going on on a day-to-day basis? What does a day a day in the life, a week in the life look like for you at the moment? Yeah, I would say there's been two pretty profound changes. So, you know, at Accenture, we've been mobilized to work remote for a while now. So um, when I'm, the the difference is though, I was either on the road about 50 to 60% of the time or working from home. So the lack of travel has been a big difference for my day to day. Uh, Usually I was meeting with clients in person or our, our leadership teams running in-person interviews and focus groups uh, with C-suite executives. And so not being able to do that in person has definitely been a a pretty big difference. Um, Not having that variety either (laughs) of going to different cities and absorbing different cultures. Um, I was actually supposed to be in Ireland, um, in Dublin, um, in April, and then going on on to London. So it it was a bummer to have missed those opportunities. And obviously, I'm hopeful those will get rescheduled in uh, next year. Um, And then the second thing is actually... I've never been busier. So um, because this is what we're considering a human capital crisis, people are at risk, safety, um, and the questions people are asking at first, it was a sense of urgency to move to technology platforms to enable remote work. And again, in particular knowledge industries where that could happen. Um, And now it's all about the people element. How do we lead remotely? How do we make sure our managers are equipped to maintain productivity and keep the workforce sustainable? As we think about moving the workforce back into physical locations, what are those safety metrics we've got to think through to make sure that happens? So um, we've never been doing more research than we have right now trying to bring data 
and um, empirical evidence to these conversations. Hopefully so leaders can make better decisions. Wow. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. We're we're talking about the future of work. So I'm really curious. You were saying that you've never been busier. So I suppose it'd be interesting to understand what kind of questions are people asking and what what's the data showing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we thought, think about pre-COVID, the future of work, what we were really looking at was the impact that accelerating technology advancements were having on the workforce. So it was very much technology driven. There was two signals, I would say, that we looked at. The first was the technology and the pace at which automation was happening and or augmentation to really change the way people worked and what they worked on. The second thing that we were looking at too, here in the States, we have the business roundtable. And for a while, the purpose of business has been around maximizing shareholder wealth um, to become as profitable as possible. And we were starting to see this narrative shift happen over the last couple of years where people realized that if you continue to just just solely focus on shareholder wealth, you were missing out on your stakeholders. So your employees, your suppliers, your vendors, And so we saw this um, shift in narrative happening around the purpose of business. And so, again, we were tracking these things. We were doing research around these things. And they were slowly progressing, you know. And as we thought about the future of work, it was, we would imagine, you know, we could see a time where the workforce was fully enabled to work remote. And it would be kind of optional, more freedom and flexibility whether or not to come into the office. Um, So it's been fascinating as someone who's been studying this future of work for almost 10 years now, it hit overnight. And so, you know, when we get on the phone, I was just on the phone with a um, group of uh, chief information officers and uh, chief learning officers. And what they had to do, what, what their plan was to do over the next several years, in some cases they did over a weekend. Um, in others, wow. it took a couple of weeks. And so it's been, the future of work has emerged today, um, whether people were ready for it or not. And those same two trends, that acceleration of technology that's enabled a workforce to work remote, um, that maybe, you know, on the negative side, displacing, you know, work and jobs, that rate of automation has really started to accelerate. But at the new, at the same time, on the positive end, this need to work differently and reimagine the way that we do work has emerged. And so this need to be creative and innovative and really figure out new ways to serve your customers when they can't leave their house has really fueled a lot of, um, need for technology and um, innovation and job creation in that area. And then the second thing, you know, because of COVID and this being really a, a health crisis and a human crisis, the way that businesses respond now is really, you know, I think under a limelight and people are looking for how are they going to be, re, you know, reopening their businesses, uh, re-entering workers back into their physical offices to what level, you know, have they had safety protocols? And so I think companies and brands are getting examined under that level, which we knew this was going to start happening, but I think that's accelerated again, almost overnight. And it'll be very interesting to see as companies emerge, as we think about the future of work and who's able to sustain this really major crisis, I think a lot in part is going to be their ability to have adopted to the technology and enable both customers and employees to access their their product or service or knowledge through technology platforms. And then second, making sure they've got that broader stakeholder view and that they're not putting people's health at risk in order to reopen. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've, I've seen, I suppose, both sides of it where people are trying to get back to normal much more quickly, but it is, it's really important that we don't jeopardize people's health and, you know, that there's no kind of pressure and it's, it's managing that balance and managing the message as well about what's what's going on yes um 
How, so you were saying in terms of research and things, is there specific data that's come out that you are that you're able to share with us today um, around anything that's happened, you know, in the last couple of months? Yeah. Great question. So um, right now we've got a couple data sources, um, research projects, I should say, in motion. So we've been pulsing the workforce um, every couple of weeks to just understand, you know, again, do they plan on returning back to work if they are working remotely? What is their trust with their employer? Really just overall trying to get employee sentiment analysis uh, during this time, because we do think this is going to be a fundamental shift and things will never quite go back to the way that they were. And I think in some ways, what I'm seeing from the data is that's an okay thing because I think there's an opportunity to bring um, more humanity back into the way that we think about work. But a couple of things that I see emerging from the data. Number one, um, people are struggling with the transition to work remote. So if you before had you know already worked from home, uh, well over 70% of people have established a strong routine of how they work and, and norms. If you hadn't worked from home before and now you're working from home, that number is like less than 50% have figured out what their routine is going to look like and okay. how they're going to establish a work from home routine. And so no surprise what we're seeing within the data are those same people are struggling with digital overload, burnout, you know, really trying to understand how many hours am I supposed to be working? How do I work, you know, and collaborate? Not just that, but we're also seeing within that population who is kind of forced overnight to go work from home is uh, over 70% are reporting on a, a high loneliness. So missing that social interaction that they have from the workplace and trying to figure out what does that look like and, and how do they get that. People who've already worked remote, we don't see that same spike in the numbers as it relates to a lack of routine, missing the social interaction and loneliness. And so I think one of the most important things from, you know, that I see emerging within the data is leaders really need to help their workers transition to what we're calling at Accenture the never normal um, and help them sustain this pace. You know, we're seeing a lot of need for rest and recovery. A lot of people have not taken their PTO or, you know, because there's no vacation to go on. There's nowhere to go. And yeah. so we're seeing this buildup um, of, of people. One of the most important things as we think about high performance is rest and recovery. And so what does rest and recovery look like when you still have to stay at home? <laughs> you know, but you need to take that day or two off and disconnect uh, from work. So those are some of the interesting things, you know, that we're just seeing from an employee perspective. From a leadership perspective, we're seeing some really interesting things emerge. Two things, you know, I looked at a data set. We were able to collect over 3,200 global executives um, right before the crisis hit, and then almost 16,000 workers. And um, we really analyzed what are the most important needs people have when they walk into the workplace? Like what's going to make them as healthy and productive as possible? No surprise, it follows Maslow's hierarchy of needs, very similar you need to have physical needs. So whether do I feel safe and secure? Um, and there's a sense of stability of, of pay in that. The second thing was a sense of mental needs. So whether or not I feel emotionally and mentally healthy when I come to the workplace, do I feel a sense of psychological safety um, in bringing my whole self to work? And then the third thing was uh, relational. Um, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about us being wired for connection. We're social beings and work is a, is a great example of that. Um, so as you think through COVID, COVID has hit every one of those needs square on. You know, so, you know, one of the things that we're trying to look at is, as a leader, how do I help navigate my workforce who's struggling with the base level physical, with their mental, and then also their relational needs? And we found two things that um, we ran a pretty, <laughs> pretty you know, uh, complex statistical model. We threw in a bunch of variables and just try to figure out what, what matters most right now. 
And the two things that leaders have to get right on one side of the coin is compassion. People right now are desperately looking for people to be empathetic, to meet them at their very human need. I still see a lot of leaders coming into meetings, going right into the business. Here's our agenda. It's almost as like they haven't missed a beat. <laughs> yeah. And it's really important to take that step back and, and check in on the person and, and where they are. But then on the other side of the coin, people are desperately looking for a sense of confidence and a sense of um, that you as a leader have the capabilities to navigate us into the future and that we're going to, you know, that there's going to be a sense of transparency. Where are we struggling and, and where do we need to, to leverage our strengths and um, be confident that we can navigate this? So that's what we've been spending a lot of time right now is advising leaders. How do you make sure you lead with confidence plus compassion and when you do that, we're seeing within the data anyways, um, trust and well-being really emerge within people's physical, emotional, and uh, relational needs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much there that I, I'd love to yeah. um, to drill into. Like this really is such an interesting statistic about, um, and maybe one that I hadn't really thought about, this idea that there are some people, because I've always been in roles where I worked with a laptop and I was able to work from home maybe one day a week at least. Yeah. And hadn't really considered there are some people who just have never worked from home and that those people are really, really struggling with finding a routine and, and getting kind of finding their feet, I suppose, even after two months. So that's that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole idea of loneliness, that's yeah, definitely something that I can and um, I can uh, relate to. And it's mm-hmm. it goes back to this. I suppose the, the mental, the psychological need for connection that you mentioned as well, that you need to feel connected with people. And if you're living on your own or if you're, if you're feeling very isolated um, and you don't really know what to do about it and you're struggling with the technology as well, then it's, it's, I suppose it's really, really hard to, to find that connection. Um, and, you know, one thing that I'm trying to do a lot is to reach out to friends, you know, whether it's on my mobile, whether it's having a Zoom call, whether it's in the evening or during the day, I'm going to kind of virtual coffee mornings and things like that to connect with other people, which is, it's really nice. And I think it's really needed kind of at least once a day. And I like this idea of the never normal because, you know, people are calling it the new normal. They're talking about going back to normal. And it's like, it's things are never, they're never going to be the same again after this. Um, this the idea of rest and recovery do you have any thoughts around what people can do to rest and recover yeah and i think this is this is where i think discipline becomes really important because before we had that physical separation from our jobs and our work um you know in our home life and yes that was still we saw the bleed from mobile technology still spilling over but for the majority of the workforce there was some level of physical separation between office life and home life um, and now that's blurred in a way that's never physically, you know, in terms of a, a space, never been more present. So I think there's a couple of things. One, and now some of this is going to depend on everyone's physical space they have at home. For those who are fortunate enough to carve out some separate space where that just becomes a workspace, you know, again, that, that's going to be a luxury and privilege for uh, many people. But those who can afford that that's going to become so important where that designated space in the house is simply meant for work. And so when you come in and when you go out, um, that, that starts to become that invisible boundary. Um, but the second thing is, you know, it's, it's surprising the power of just micro breaks and, and being able to separate for that five to 10 minutes when you've been sitting on zoom call after zoom call from just a, a cognitive load that is very exhausting 
Um, and you wouldn't necessarily always do that in an office. You would get up and go to the, the water cooler or, yeah. you know, you would go take a break and, and we don't have those natural organic built-in breaks anymore. Um, again, from a physical space. So it's being very disciplined to ensure that if you've been sitting for a few hours during your day or back to back with calls, you've got to get up and leave the space and you've got it to your point, even go outside if you're safe and you're able to, um, or just use something away from the screen. You know, the screen time has gone up tremendously. And what I'm concerned about is you see a lot of people working extra long on their laptops and then they're so exhausted. So what did they do? They go and turn mm-hmm. on TV. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, it's, there's nothing. It's exactly. So we're just, again, there's this like lack of screen time break. And that's yeah. one of the best ways to feel energized. Uh, one of my friends uh, studies this uh, quite a bit in Canada and she has said, you know, it's amazing. If you want to feel energy right away, turn off all screens. And it's just amazing. Your brain starts to reset and kind of engage back into the natural world. Um, and you start to get that spike in energy. So I do think it's being disciplined in finding those micro breaks to turn on the laptop. And as much as possible, and Accenture is, is actually doing a, a good job of this with us as a workforce of mandatory, like you've got to take your PTO, you've got to take a day or two off where we're shutting down. There is, you need that full reset. And yes, it's going to be a little depressing at times because there's nowhere to go. Um, But just that, that disconnection and detachment from work is so powerful right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. It's kind of, I suppose another extreme there is the people who would have been kind of quite workaholic-y previously. Now, now it's a, fantastic opportunity for them to continue and continue you know they're like well you know I may may as well work or I have to work or whatever it is that you know what is whatever their reason whatever their drive is to keep working it's the perfect opportunity to be able to do that and it it makes it really really difficult then to to switch off yes and you know I think there's it depends on the type of work that's being done too so this has been something we've been trying to look a lot at you know, is during times of crisis or, you know, some sort of constriction, it only leaves room for the essentials to emerge, you know, so it's, it's fascinating to actually look at all the non-essential work that we've just built up because of bureaucracy or matrix environments or just business administration. And yeah. you start to realize, you know, I did a TED talk on this last year that, you know, some, an anthropologist has called this soulless work. You I mean, it's not very human work and it actually drains us and doesn't necessarily bring, you know, a strong sense of meaning to our lives. And so I do think this is a time to really reset the button on what it means to work um, and really examine what are those tasks and what is the end outcome. We're seeing purpose emerge uh, again as what is the very purpose of our existence as a business and what is it that we're trying to achieve and add value to. And so I think if you can maintain a sense of intellectual stimulation and meaningful connection during this time, you know, I'm a little less concerned, you know, by if, if you are, you know, jumping into more of that workaholic mode, but if you're jumping into that workaholic mode and you're devoid of that meaningful connection, you're devoid of that, you know, sense of purpose behind it and really not having any sort of learning or intellectual stimulation occurring and you're just kind of sitting there robotic, um, I think that's going to be a really alarming issue. Yeah. And there's no surprise we're seeing a lot of uh, mental health uh, occur as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was on um, a people analytics uh, conference call yesterday, which was yeah. quite interesting. And they, in it, they had someone from a UK charity talking about mental health and, and the spike in mental health issues and, you know, mm. people needing so many more people needing their support recently, like hugely, hugely. Um, I wanted to pick up on this whole idea of the essentials and 
it for me it really ties in with this you know what you were kind of saying about we've we've built the way we work around all these meaningless tasks that really you know a report for the sake of a report that no one's ever going to read um you know and i spoke to someone on the podcast um uh, a couple of weeks ago in relation to he calls it bullshit jobs there's a book called bullshit jobs mm-hmm. yep. all of these jobs that basically uh, you don't really need them and I think that's what's happening now we're going back to the essential of what we actually do what does it mean to work what is our purpose as a business what is it that we're trying to achieve here are you seeing that kind of translating into reality then for the businesses that you work with Yes, I think um, it's funny. I was on the phone call this week with our media team, you know, who does scans to kind of see what's emerging within this space. And the number one conversation that we see emerging is around purpose mm-hmm. and, um, you know, kind of what is everyone's core purpose and and how do we actually stay true to that, even in the midst of a crisis. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's very profound. I've um, read Bullshit Jobs, who's a great, again, the anthropologist look at, at what's happening. And I think it's really important, you know, I, as someone who I study a lot of business history, because I'm always fascinated of how did we get to where we are today? Yeah. You know, and, you know, as we look at this, a lot of people call it an engagement problem, but, you know, people are just not, um, I, I call it more of a meaning problem, just don't have meaning or connection to what it is that they do every day. Yeah. Um, and that just leads to profound disconnect in our personal lives. And so when I look at how we kind of got to the work design we are, I mean, it was built around the assumption, two core assumptions. One is that people don't want to work, and so they have to be managed, and that there's an inherent disconnect between work and leisure time. And if given the choice, people would just want to engage in a whole bunch of leisure time. (laughs) Um, And so we've created this really micromanaging, process-oriented leadership styles to ensure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that, quite frankly, people are intelligent on their own. Mm. And then the second thing is we've really set the North Star towards efficiency. So, you know, in order to scale we have to become as efficient as possible. And so those have kind of become our North stars that, that, Hey, people don't really want to be at the company anyways. There's an inherent disconnect between their interest and the company's interest and everything we do has to be so that it becomes efficient. And so fast forward to now we're in 2020 and um, those ideas have allowed us to become really great at production and producing things, Mm. um, but maybe not so good at actually creating societal value at, at large and, and solve some of our most complex problems. Yeah. And so I do think this is a tremendous opportunity to really reset those norms and reset those assumptions. As we've seen, people have actually become more productive, not less productive with the less oversight that they have now working from home. Like people mm-hmm. inherently want to work and need to contribute something. And then the second thing is we've got to figure out, instead of figuring out efficiency, we, we've really done a great job as a human race on on nailing that one. How do we actually think about how do we become more creative and more innovative and and better learners and um, better co-creators with our environment? And um, and that to me is, I think, what's going to be most exciting coming from all of this is I'm seeing businesses have a digging much deeper into these, you know, constructs or ideas than before COVID hit. Brilliant. Yeah. So it's like, maybe they were going that way anyway, but it's, this has kind of accelerated that whole process. Absolutely. So this idea of how we are adding value and yeah, how, you know, what, what is it that you're doing? And I loved what you said about, you know, people, if you leave them on their own, they're going to get on with it. It's this whole, you know, you don't need to be told what to do and how to do it. You need to be shown what, I love that you said the North Star, you need to be shown what the North Star is and let people 
get on with it. And if up to now, the North Star has been driving efficiency. And I'm probably guilty of that myself. Like how much did you get done? And right. what did you, you know, t- how many things did you tick off your task list? But actually, what's the purpose behind that? What's that driving me towards? Like what am, what's the benefit to society or what's the benefit to me of doing these things? Yes. It's really, really interesting. Yep, um, absolutely. And becoming, yeah, so we've become, we've been great at becoming more productive. (laughs) But how now are we going to make a contribution? And so that's, that's from a company perspective, but I see the same thing happening from an individual perspective as well. People have more time to reflect on like, what is my purpose in life? Not just what is the company purpose and vision and mission. It's what is my purpose and does that align with that mission? Are you seeing that kind of coming out of the data as well? Or is that something that you've looked at? Yeah, great question. And it's actually something I started looking at before COVID hit. So, um, you know, it was always fascinating to me as an individual, like, what is my purpose? What's my motivation to keep showing up every day to work? And it's interesting, usually, when you ask people that, like, just randomly ask people on the streets, um, the answer nine out of 10 times was, well, to get a paycheck, to make money, you know, so I can have a, a standard of living. And, but it was so interesting when I'd ask in a survey data, you know, anonymously, like, you know, what motivates you to go above and beyond or what would motivate you to come in an hour early and and really work on something? Um, Rarely it was for money or anything extrinsic. It was much more around, well, I would do that if I knew I was helping someone, you know, we started hearing words like helping yeah, um, or, you know, if I knew I was doing good or I was going to add value. And so, I was seeing this right before COVID hit in the data set and and starting to think about, you know, maybe as individuals, we really don't know ourselves at at work as well as we think we do. And we've been a little bit trained from our um, maybe over rotation on economic terms and, you know, the economy to think about everything in terms of transactional value and uh, dollars and cents here in the States. And so I do think now, because exactly what you've said, people have had some time for reflection and, um, purpose and meaning matter, I think, more than ever. And especially if you're going to be stuck at home and you're not going to have some of those office perks that you had before of going in and and doing these things, you've really got to make sure that what you're doing, you've got to see that connection to how it's helping someone else and adding value. And so I think companies have a a tremendous opportunity now to bridge that gap through communications and and really through anchoring people back um, to what it is and, and why we have to be doing what we're doing right now in these uncomfortable conditions and those companies that have anchored back to their overall purpose, um, in some cases here in the States, an automo I was just on the phone with an auto, automotive company, and they quickly transitioned from making cars and trucks to ventilators and masks and just wow. being able to rally around that purpose at the you know individual level of, hey, we're going to transition your job overnight, and you're going to immediately start to see the impact it's having has been tremendous. Um, and I think wow. it's brought a lot more meaning to their jobs. Wow. And, you know, I suppose... I'm- I don't know, is this kind of more on a personal opinion note, but do you think then there are, that there are some companies that maybe don't, I don't want to say that they don't have a purpose, but maybe that their their purpose is less clear or, it, it, you know, maybe it ties in with this bullshit job things where actually there's no reason for that company to exist other than for kind of very... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very kind of superficial reasons, I suppose. Yes, I think, um, you know, it's funny when I think about like the financial crisis, I think that exposed some of that in 07, 08 of some of the, you know, the middle intermediaries that were just simply just transferring money or transferring paper that really actually maybe not, I love that word superficial, 
um, really wasn't adding necessarily any value at a customer level. I actually think we're going to be, again, looking deeply across all of our industries. Again, going back to the, if you anchor back to the customer and whether or not the customer is, is healthier or whether or not the customer is having an increased standard of life because of what you're doing, whether it's the knowledge or the service or the product you're creating, you know, that should tend to keep you crisis proof to some degree and, and continue to keep your North Star um, in the right direction. You know, I think it's times when the, what the crisis illuminates is exactly what you're saying is, one, if you've been founded on a superficial purpose, if it's truly just been to make money, especially at the expense of people or at the expense of customers, that's going to get exposed during times like this. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's okay. And I would just encourage, you know, people and, and workers at the individual level who don't have that meaning or that connection or aren't sure what their purpose is of their company is to, is to ask, you know, and, and ask and, 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 and press a bit. And if it's not aligned to their own individual values, um, then it's, this would be a great time to start looking to, to look for those companies because it's very obvious those companies who are leading with purpose and have been able to um, maintain a sense of steadiness during this crisis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that you said about values. I'll come back to that in a second, but I wanted to kind of highlight this whole idea of transactional value. So um, I got a message from a friend um, during the week and it said, it was something like, oh, well, I've done my hours Um I've built up my hours over the week, so it's okay if I take a half day today or something like this. So to me, that is very transactional and it's not focusing on, you know, I immediately picked up on that. Maybe I, maybe it's over the last couple of years, I've become more aware of that kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, it's the money in exchange for time as opposed to money in exchange for the results that you're producing as an individual. And I just, it really hit home when she said that, that it was like, oh, I've built up my hours during the week, so it's okay if I take a half day. And I just thought, wow, like that's, you know, that is, that's the epitome of trading time for money and of this whole transactional nature of work when actually it's really about the results that you produce. Mm -hmm. I love what you've said about really focusing on the customer. And if you're not adding value to the customer, then those companies are just going to disappear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, again, taking a bit of a historical lens, I think because so much of our business and our management philosophies have arisen much more from an engineering you know, perspective um, and economic perspective. So we're really good at making those trade-off <laughs> decisions to your point. And it's simple. I mean, at the end of the day, and it's sustained so long because it's simple. We, our, our minds can get a, around it and it almost like ha- creates this equality because we all, all either have a certain amount of time. But what I'm really hoping is that we can begin to tell ourselves a new narrative and maybe draw from other disciplines. Um, so I'm doing a lot of studying right now in physics and biology and trying to understand how living things work sustain over time as opposed to mechanical things, which again, we've built everything based on an assembly line and manufacturing and and really not non-human traits. Um, And so unfortunately, those non-human traits and attributes have carried over into the way that we see ourselves and the way that we treat each other in the workplace. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm I'm hopeful on, and I think this is going to take a little bit of time, is forming that new narrative. So, I mean, we still need to anchor back to some sort of analogy or, or, or trade-off, but is there a better way we can be doing it as opposed to just economic and industrial terminology? Yeah. And um, what are you seeing so far then? I mean, that's a fascinating area to look at. Yes. You know, I've actually been surprised that we haven't, I haven't seen a lot of this intersection yet of taking these disciplines um, into um, business and the way that we think about business. Mm, and I think yeah. maybe because they're a bit abstract and they're hard to measure. Um, 
But a couple of things, you know, one of the things that I'm focusing a lot right now on that that looking at physics is flow. So flow, they do a lot of um, measuring flow. And and one of the questions is, what is it that we're actually trying to flow through our our organizations? Um, Is it knowledge? Is it people? Is it money? You know, and I think once we can actually start to really think about that flow throughout organizations and think about as more of a living system, I think it's going to illuminate a lot of um, tendencies that we have to block (laughs) flow. And, you know, and one of the things that may sound abstract, but I think one of the things that we never think about, and maybe because it's too philosophical, is how does the human spirit flow throughout our organizations and our human traits? You know, how does that, whether it's joy or meaning or collaboration, you know, those very human traits, how do we actually do those things? And one of the things I've done just to ground it in something real, I was having an issue um, in my current job with a team. You know, we just one of us was either feeling out of the loop or, you know, you start to, especially as you start to get isolated working from home, it just felt like there wasn't this knowledge sharing. And so I took a step back and thought, okay, because it starts to then become a personality issue because you start to become more contentious on phone calls and you start to assume negative intent of the, you know, the team or the person. And so as I started reading this physics, I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, one of the things that what feels blocked right now is that flow of knowledge because we're not no longer working together and it feels secretive. And so I was like, okay, how would you, how would you fix that? Well, you start meeting with the people on a regular basis. I mean, we, we didn't have one-on-ones established solely for the purpose of getting to know each other and getting to actually build social capital and relational capital with each other. And it's been amazing. Yes, it's taken a lot more time from a calendar perspective, but the flow of knowledge information now and just positive intent seems to be flown at all cylinders. So it's taking that time to really assess like at a human level what's happening here and how do we kind of go back to the kindness and kind of compassion mm. that we know work to um to, to help work becomes just better and much more meaningful for both on both sides now yeah yeah that's brilliant that you can take these kind of practical steps and I love that throughout our conversation you've kind of suggested some very practical things that people can do to implement stuff um, I want to go back now to the values piece that you kind of touched on at the start, because I, that, that forms part of what I'm researching for my dissertation at the moment mm-hmm. is um, values and, and how values contributes to our sense of fit. And I, I, I use the term fit, meaning a match as opposed to like molding yourself to fit in. It's more like being able to be yourself at work and still feel, you know, satisfied and engaged and, and all of those kind of things. And values is a really crucial element, as is need satisfaction that you had mentioned earlier. And so I'd love to drill into that in a little bit more detail and anything that you have to share about values. Yeah, it's, um, values is a very another underrepresented topic, I would say, in applied research. So, you know, I think from an academic perspective, it's, it's, I see a lot of articles on it, and I think it's um, so important. But then when it comes to the applied side, for whatever reason, we don't, you know, maybe we talk a bit about company mission or purpose, but when it starts getting to values, you know, maybe on a website, you can find five or six values, but <laughs> they tend not to actually be operationalized. Yeah, but they're, yeah, um, there's, what's on the website, what's on the you know, what's painted on the walls and what's paint, what's in your email signature, but actually operationalized. I like that. You, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, not, well, it's not reflected in the behavior of what's happening on a day-to-day basis in, in the offices. Exactly. And I think that's, again, to kind of draw from some physics, you know, physics helps us explain the invisible of, of what's kind of happening that, you know, that drives action or drives force. Um, and I think values is one of those things that are the invisible that actually make the organization work or not work. Um, 
and I think sometimes when leaders ask, well, how do I know what people value or, you know, how do I actually know, you know, what our company's values are? Every day, those are emergent in my mind. So, mm-hmm. you know, the values, hopefully at an individual level, core values remain stable. Um, but the way that they're expressed really is emergent depending on the culture and the environment and the way that people lead and behave. And so, again, as I think through a crisis mode, this is where we start to see the system you know, essential stable values that we have to keep going back to. So it's really easy to start, like I was saying before, get competitive or feel a sense of negative intent from people. But we know it, like I know at Accenture, we value collaboration. Like that is one of our core values mm. is having to constantly go back to that in our behaviors. Um, and it has to become very intentional. These values just don't occur because you have a lot of people who value collaboration. You've got to provide the right infrastructure and conditions by which they can exist. And so that's the other thing I think right now we can really go through. I'll get another practical example here is performance management. A lot of times performance management is wired for competition at the individual level. So we assess people at the end of the year based on a metric or their individual output. But yet then we say we value collaboration and making people around us better. Those two things are inherently disconnected from the way we're actually managing and paying people. So I think any sort of congruence that we can have with values and then the system that we design within our organizations is going to be instrumental if we actually want to have them become um, visible on a daily basis. And what's the answer there in relation to performance management? Yeah, so I think there's a great example. Microsoft is one that I've studied um, a lot in depth. And I think because they had this very individualistic engineering type culture um, and were struggling, you know, during 2000s, to compete with, um, you know, all the rising tech that was emerging within Silicon Valley. And so the CEO, I give him so much credit, decided to take a look at all the, you know, people practices within the organization to figure out, okay, we've got the intellectual capital here. That's going to only go so far until we can build that social capital to actually make it all work together within a system. And so he um, went ahead and with his team redesigned performance management by adding one question that changed everything and which was around, how do you make others around you better? So instead of just focusing on your individual output every year, hey, I made X amount of widgets and X amount of time, I want to get into a different conversation. How is your presence here within the firm or within the system making others around you better? And so if those other people around you are better, it's going to spread in domino effect of the organization where your individual output might only have this particular um, influence. And that rapidly changed the culture and the way that people interacted. Because if you start incentivizing people to make others around them better, which is actually a very inherent human quality anyways, it has perfect alignment between what we inherently as humans tend to value. We're much more of a collaborative species than a competitive species. And so um, that's just one example of actually the way that we assess and measure just changing the questions and the focus uh, makes a big, big change. That's, I mean, to me, that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. It really is. How do you make others around you better? It is something I, yeah. It, and it's like something you even ask in your personal life and professional life. It's just a different frame. And um, again, it, it just connects as someone who studies meaning all the time, you know, it just makes that connection to meaning so much better because that I know that's what drives meaning. We know it's helping people. And if we can line that in the way that we think about ourselves, um, I think it's just leads to better workplaces. I was about to say, so on the one hand, it's how you make meaning of how you 
how you make other people better around you, but also it helps you to find that sense of purpose. Like how would you like to help other people around you? And I often ask people like, what's, what's the problem that you see in the world? You know, what is it, what's wrong with the world that you would like to fix? And for me, it's workplaces, it's creating happier workplaces. I think in a lot of situations, work is broken. You know, what you were saying earlier about it's, people aren't happy at work. People are unproductive. They're focusing on efficiency, all of this kind of stuff. It's so to me, that's what I think in the world needs to be fixed. And how I would like to make things better is by solving that problem. Yes. One at a time. Be more aligned. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Mine is probably a bit more about making workplaces or just work itself more meaningful. Um, But yeah, same, same thing. I mean, I, I think that's a huge, and if we can fix that problem, I think the domino effect across other societal problems that emerge because our workplaces are so broken would start to, to dissipate. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so Kelly, just conscious of time here, yeah. is there anything else that you would like to share? Anything that hasn't been covered or any kind of practical tips that you'd like to leave people with? You know, I think the only thing that I would say just in, in closing on this conversation is, um, you know, we focus a lot on others, but I think during this time to remind ourselves that as humans, we do have our own limitations and what we can navigate and tackle. And um, I've done some work before. It was a piece actually called the scarcity make you dumb. And it's just around the cognitive overload we all have when we're faced with an unmet urgent need. And so I think this is an opportunity. We are all cognitively overloaded to your point. Like we talked about earlier, just trying to get to the grocery store, just takes so much more time and fear And instead of turning inward during this time, I think this could be a tremendous opportunity for us to all share in our shared human condition. You know, we all are facing some sort of scarcity. And how do we actually connect, whether that's, again, the framework at the beginning, physical, emotional, relational, you know, where are we struggling and where can we extend the bridge for the other struggling? I think, again, this could really unite us in a way that we haven't had the opportunity before. The last time we've seen this level was kind of, you know, when I do my research was around World War II. When the world felt like it was, you know, uh, you know, obviously on fire. And and as a result, we saw this level of collaboration and unity and the sense of meaning and purpose. And I just, I used to say before this happened, it would take a crisis for us to get to this point again, to really reset work and reset our norms. Yeah. And so I'm just hopeful people will take this opportunity to to really re-examine and, and reset in areas yeah. so that it brings shared humanity forward. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with everything you've said. How how do you think that we could do that? Is that really having conversations like this, sharing on social media, reaching out to neighbors, reaching out to community, um, and reaching out to friends? Is that is that at the heart of, of what it is that you're trying to say? Yeah, I think and again to keep going back to like quantum physics and biology, where change happens is always at the localized level. And so I think in some ways, even myself, I've over-rotated on trying to change systems, mass, you know, these massive systems and change the world. Instead, if we can understand the effect it would have, if we just started to change within our control, our sphere of influence, the local environment by which we exist, it would create change at scale. And so I think in some ways, I'm having a big reframe. Instead of trying to change the big system, which really could never be done in my lifetime, I can start changing local communities. Um, and that is my local neighborhood, my family, friends. You start to think through that ecosystem. And if I can start enacting everything that I preach on a day-to-day basis on, on how to make work more meaningful, I think that is where we actually see the, the change that we might not even be aware of. And so, I, yeah, I'm really kind of calling on more of a localized change now. Um, 
and, and keep our heads up and see you create localized change in Ireland. I create localized change in you know, Philly. We have these conversations and connect yeah. and hopefully encourage and bring visibility to that. Um, and then over time, I think we begin to see a new narrative form. Brilliant. I, I love that approach because I'm similar. I'm like, but I want to change the whole world, you know, I, and I want, to, I want it to do it tomorrow. I want yeah. everything to happen immediately. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and I'm starting to see the impact of taking small steps as well. Yes. Like that's something that's really, really come to light for me in the last, probably in, in the round the last year, because I'm very much, I take these giant leaps. I, yes. I take on big projects. I do huge things. You know, I traveled for six months at a time. You know, I yeah. do things big basically yes. but I am starting to see the benefit of taking the small steps and this yeah. localized approach I really really love that and just yeah. having that impact on friends and family and again kind of bringing it back to a personal level I was texting with a friend of mine and she's struggling a little bit in work she's not she yeah. has no meaning in work basically and we were trying to kind of establish you know based on her personality what might she find fulfillment in and you know it would take too long to get there and you know and I said well the time would pass anyway so yeah. you're going to get there either way. Either you're there in four years time, still in the same job, miserable, yeah. or you've invested that four years wisely and you're, you, mm-hmm. you feel more meaning and fulfillment because you're investing the time in getting to where it is that you want to go to. Absolutely. So, yeah. Brilliant. So Kelly, the question I ask everyone who comes on to the podcast, what makes you happier at work? Yeah. So for me personally, this is more of my own individual difference. I, I love learning. So anytime that I come to work and I'm engaged in some sort of learning activity, now that could be at a very micro level where it's a new new technology or new way to do something. Or um, for me too, I mean, I'm having a lot of learning just in terms of paradigm shifts um, or really seeing where I, you know, again, as humans, we're biased and, you know, I manage a team and you, you kind of ascribe a particular trait to someone, or you think they're a certain way, and then they just blow through that paradigm and <laughs> yeah. realize, you know, they're obviously so much more capable um, than you could ever imagine. Like that to me makes me very happy. And when I, every day, if I can learn something, I feel fulfilled and I feel happy. It's the days that I come in, I haven't learned anything and I'm just pushing paper around, you know, where you start to realize you're not so happy in that environment. So that's for me personally what makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. No, learning is one of my core values as well. I absolutely love learning. And um, when I finish the master's, I'm sure I'll find something else that I can continue and and study. But like that, you know, whether it's a new technology or whether it's a new way of doing things or anything like that, I just, I really, really like knowledge. and. And not only that, but sharing knowledge. Yes. You know, it's always been kind of a passion of mine. Um, Brilliant. So if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way they can do that? And feel free to mention any any kind of webinars um, that are coming up or any events or anything like that 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 you'd like to mention. Yeah, I've got a couple of things. So I actually just, speaking of learning, um, over COVID taught myself how to, you know, just build a small website. So um, I'm trying to consolidate all my research and podcasts and um, events on that. It's called... The great, or the, make sure I get the URL right, the big workplace reset.com. So it's all about how do we actually reset work. And um, we'll love to include a link to your podcast on that as well. But yep, that's the big workplace reset.com. I also house a lot of things on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn by all means, um, you know, please connect and reach out. And then um, on our Accenture.com site, we've got a lot of great research that we use, um, really COVID-specific right now, some of that practical action, depending on if you're a business or leader, what you may need. So those are the three places to, to really find me. 
Brilliant. That's great. Thanks so much. I'll definitely check out the website. And um, Yes, you'll probably be one of my first visitors. So like, this is my first <laughs> launch. <laughs> so if you see anything wrong, please let me know. <laughs> it's a work in motion. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because what I am realizing about myself is I, I love finding errors. I love finding the detail of stuff and being like, okay, that's not right. It needs to change. Yes. You know, well, I'm sure there's, <laughs> this could be a playground for you then. <laughs> but that's brilliant. I so much enjoyed our conversation. And Me too. I, I could have chatted for hours here about the future of work or, you know, what the immediate crisis means for us at the moment. Um, but yeah, really, really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. And I swear, I hope I can get to Ireland. I have that trip is like in 2021 for me now. So when I do, I have to make sure that we go up and, and meet for some coffee or something when I, when I make it there. Uh, yeah, definitely would love to do that. Thanks so All much. Right. Thank you so much. It's great meeting you. Take care. That was Dr. Kelly Monaghan. And I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I just wanted to recap on some of the things that she had said. So she was saying that before COVID struck, there was... And the two kind of key themes going on in terms of the future of work were the impact of accelerating technology and the shift away from maximizing shareholder wealth with more of a focus on um, other stakeholders like employees and customers and really focusing on the purpose of business. And those two things have really been accelerated as a result of COVID and the companies who are really going to thrive during this crisis and after this crisis are those companies who focus on those areas. So giving customers the option to liaise or to connect with you through technology and also reimagining what the purpose of your business actually is. So really being clear about it. And it, it brings to mind the idea around Start With Why, which is something that Simon Sinek talks about. I'm reading that book at the moment, really, really enjoying it. So um, if you haven't read it, definitely check it out. Uh, something else that she mentioned was the way businesses respond is under the limelight. And that is certainly something I have seen um, just within my own social circles in relation to how leaders have reacted and what they're what they're actually doing and the impact of how they're treating staff currently, whether that's positively or negatively, is having a big impact on the perception of what it's like to work for that organisation. She talked about the needs at work, and this is something of particular interest for me because the research I'm doing for my dissertation is all around need satisfaction. So the ideas around having our physical needs, that's being safe and secure and pay falls into that as well. Our mental needs then around psychological, you know, being safe to share how you're feeling and things like that. And then there's the relational needs that's being able to connect with other people. And as she mentioned, all three of those have really been hit. Two things she mentioned then that leaders really need to get right are the two C's. So compassion and confidence. Compassion is leading with empathy so not diving straight into business and talking about like what's actually going on asking people how they are but equally leading with confidence and showing that you have the capabilities to navigate to the future and that you have confidence in your own abilities to be able to do that. Some of the other things that came up were around having discipline around working from home so having that if you're lucky enough to have that physical separation for a workspace, which unfortunately I am not, I am one of the 
the uh, people who doesn't have a separate workplace at home. And it's certainly something I'm really, really missing. But if you are lucky enough to have that and have a designated space and it creates this physical boundary for you to step into work and step out of work. And a friend of mine shared an example of, of what he does. So he has a place in his garden where he can go and work. And then at the end of the day, he'll come in through the front door. So it feels like he's that, you know, that's a that's a signal to himself that he's finished work for the day. She mentioned about taking micro breaks as well, because typically in work, we'll have little breaks in between walking from meetings or bumping into someone that, you know, But when we're at home, there's no natural breaks. So scheduling those in is really, really important. She mentioned as well about the separation of the essential versus the non-essential. And it's becoming really obvious what's essential work and what's not. Like the kind of things that have built up because of matrix working and business administration sort of fall down by the wayside and you really focus on what's important. How to focus on the purpose then is how are we adding value as a business? What is it that we do? We spoke as well about societal value. So how are we contributing to society? For a long time, we've spoken about efficiency and we've talked about being more productive. But actually, what are we doing to help other people? Something that came up a few times as well is this whole concept of anchoring back to the customer. Something else to consider as well is if you don't know what the purpose of your organisation is, just ask. We spoke about values again. That's something that's of particular interest for me because of the research that I'm doing. So core values tend to remain stable over time. But as Kelly mentioned, the way they're expressed changes. I love that she shared a really practical example from her own day to day work life. And just by reaching out and and fostering that collaboration, things have really improved within her own team. One of the things about values is that they need to be intentional. So you need to provide the infrastructure and the conditions in order to make them a reality. We spoke about how values oftentimes that can be on the wall or in the email or on the website, but actually it's the behavior in the workplace that is what values truly, truly are. I'll leave you with this question, which was one of the core things to come out. I think I really, really uh, is one of the key takeaways for me. I love it. How do you make others around you better? As always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Thanks so much for listening this far. I do truly appreciate it. And I want to give a shout out to some of the cities that are listening in. So we've got Dublin is number one. Uh, So thanks, guys, for listening in. Uh, Galway is showing up pretty high there as well, as is Kilkenny and Brooklyn. So they're the top cities for listeners in the last seven days. So thank you for tuning in. If you would like to reach out to me, the best place to find me is usually on LinkedIn. uh, So you can do a search for me. I'll put a link to my LinkedIn in the show notes as well. If you are interested in the future of work, you can check out the two previous episodes on the future of work. And next week's episode features Andrew Barnes and Charlotte Lockhart from Four Day Week. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. That will be out next week. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.